What is going on, everybody? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of And Big Red vs. The World. As always, I'm Big Red. And as always, I'm Average Ant. And we got a pretty special NBA-geared episode for you as we are in the heart of the playoffs. And, and I'll let you break it down a little bit. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry. Yeah, like you said, cut and dry. Um, pretty much all we got for today is second-round adjustments for those teams left in the playoffs. Um, obviously, it's the second round, so we got eight teams on the menu. And I guess that's pretty much the whole preview we got right there. Yeah, so... Should be a good episode. Uh, if you're enjoying the series and the playoffs so far, uh, we're just going to give you a few things to kind of focus on and look at that maybe missed or can check out going forward in these series. So, I mean, without further ado, uh, we'll get it taken away with the Nuggets and the Blazers. Uh, and you want to get us started? Um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll start with the Nuggets. Um, the Nuggets are probably the most interesting team <laughs> left, I guess, based on the fact that um, nobody really had any respect for them, myself included. I didn't think, I thought they were pretenders, still kind of think they are, but um, they're looking a lot more legit than I thought they were going to look, um, especially after that um, getting taken to seven by the Spurs, and they very well could have lost that series. Um, but the way they came out game one against the Blazers um, kind of put the whole pretender thing to rest to, to a degree. Um but anyway, I guess uh, getting into the adjust some of the adjustments that I'd like to see them make. Um, number one for sure is run more pick and rolls with uh, Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. Um, it's something that I think would work really good, especially at a higher degree. Um, getting Enos Kanter involved in them because he's not the most mobile guy of all time, and kind of just um, picking on him a little bit. And you know, the Joker can pretty much do anything if he gets the ball in the high post. So that's something I'd like to see them do. Um, what's uh number one adjustment you'd like to see for the Nuggets? Um, I mean, quite frankly, uh, just both of these games are just complete polar opposites. I mean, the first game, like you said, the Nuggets kind of stepped in and wanted to shed a little bit of that. Uh, we're just happy to be here label, you know, uh, and, and, they ran, they ran it right to the Blazers, shot 50% and 41%. So, I mean, they basically made everything, and that's kind of what the Blitzkrieg offensive style that the Nuggets had all year. And, and it worked at home. Um, and then they kind of fell flat. And you, you mentioned the pick and roll with Jokic and Jamal Murray. I think that that can be a really efficient weapon for him in the playoffs, something to turn to. Is like you said, Jokic is a master in the high post. I mean, he's Jokic is a phenomenal player. I actually really like watching him play. Uh but I think that Jamal Murray is is the key, mm-hmm. and whether it's in the pick and roll or not, I think you got to find ways to get Jamal open looks and facilitating the offense. Um, just a couple numbers here to throw at you: in Game One, Jamal Murray dropped 23 points on eight of 15 shooting and eight assists, and then in Game Two, joined the rest of the Nuggets squad doing the polar plunge and was six of 21 with 15 points. So. My first suggestion kind of goes in line with yours. That Jamal Murray has to be more involved, and I know Jokic is your superstar, but I, every superstar needs a good sidekick, and if you don't have a good sidekick, you're not going to advance past the superstars at each round. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this, that duo of uh, Jokic and um, Jamal Murray is kind of similar to LeBron and Kyrie in the sense that LeBron and Jokic are kind of the guys that are like do-all, 
and whatever. And then um, Jamal Murray and Kyrie are kind of like the assassins that get you the buckets that you need to get. So, I mean, not obviously not saying that, <laughs> not putting them in the same breath or nothing, but uh, just kind of the whole, I guess, comparison if um, you want yeah, to Yeah, no, I, I actually, I like, I like the analogy. I mean, it's obviously like an A analogy and a B analogy, but it, it still works. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, I guess I'll get into uh, my second key for the Nuggets. And um, you mentioned their Blitzkrieg offense. Uh, they haven't played much defense at all through the whole season or anything, which um, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's, it's, it's their thing. But uh, one of my keys is that they have to shut down either Dame or CJ. Um, I suggest trying to go after Dame. Um, he did have an off game in game two. And CJ did to an extent, but I mean he did have a better game, I guess. But um, I guess for enough to win, yeah, <laughs> for for CJ McCollum to beat you, um, it'd be a lot. It's I've, in my opinion, I feel like it's it'd be easier to shut down CJ. And you know what, Dame, Dame just went off for fifty against the Thunder, and pretty much carried that team. CJ didn't really play that well in that game, so I mean Dame can carry a team to win. I can't say the same for CJ, so. Um, yeah, second key for the Nuggets, shut down CJ, or Dame, I mean. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, it, it's actually interesting. In the game that the Nuggets won, Dame went off, shot pretty yeah. well, and then um, the game that they lost, Dame struggled big time, but again, absolutely no shooting. Um, so yeah, so I, I think there, there are key defensive adjustments. Uh, I... Quite frankly, my bigger adjustment here, though, isn't necessarily... I mean, it is defensive, but it's more about just executing and capitalizing on defense. So I I think I I mentioned pre-show that the Nuggets were actually in Game 2, and the Nuggets actually killed it in offensive rebounding. Uh, Outboarded outboarded the Blazers 23-7 to in offensive rebounds. Uh, And on top of that, in both games, the Nuggets won the turnover battle. Portland had 18 in Game 1 and 10 in Game 2, where, as the Nuggets, I believe, had I think around 12 in Game 1 and 9 in Game 2. But neither of those things seemed to translate to points off turnovers, as the Nuggets only got six points off their turn off the 18 turnovers that Portland had Game 1. They still won. But either way, especially when you're at home, the Nuggets you have to capitalize on those mistakes and now now that Portland came in and kind of did their job stole that home field advantage or home court advantage they've got to do a better job of capitalizing on those second chance buckets with the offensive rebounds and and scoring off turnovers you can't get you can't force 18 turnovers and score 6 points off it whereas the Blazers forced 12 turnovers and score 23 uh, that's that's how you're going to end up losing especially as you go on the road yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I, I don't, I don't know how many times the team has out, re, out offensive rebounded a team by sixteen offensive rebounds and lost. I mean, that's just something that doesn't happen. I mean, generally speaking, the team that just generally gets more rebounds is usually the team that wins. So I mean, that's interesting that the <laughs> that the Nuggets can't convert offensive rebounds into second chance points, and also with the turnovers. I mean. You get 18 turnovers. You need to. You need at least 18 points off of those turnovers. Um, but I guess um, that's something that they'll need to change. And um, if you don't have anything else for the Nuggets, I'm ready to go on to 
the other half of the series. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I kind of want to give my little half-hearted prediction um, <laughs> at this point. Uh, last thing, though, I, I think the series is far from over. I mean, really, we've said it, or I've said it all the way through, is it's it's been a tale of two teams. I mean, you saw the Nuggets shoot lights out, and then you saw them struggle. Now we get to go on the road. I think the Blazers are in control. Uh, it's just, it's tough because the Blazers haven't necessarily done anything other than play physical defense in game two to kind of assert themselves as better than the Nuggets. So it's going to be really interesting to see. I think kind of just like you mentioned, um, the Nuggets need to keep Damian Lillard down. I think whether or not we see Dame time and CJ show up, uh, it's going to determine this series. But I honestly, I like the Blazers to win in seven. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I definitely think this, this series will go seven for sure. Um, it's. I feel like it's the most one, not the most interesting matchups, but probably up there, just because uh, the team, both teams are pretty much all offense, no defense. But the Blazers have stepped up their defense this uh, this playoff run. So I guess um, I'll, we, we can get into some of the keys for the Blazers if you have some. Um, my first one, I guess, is feeding Iskander the ball more. Um, Nikola Jokic isn't a defender. He's that, yeah, I guess he's not a defender. So, I mean, let, let Enos go to work <laughs> in the post. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, let, let Enos go in the post, um, back him down, bruise him up a little bit, wear him down. Um, so, he's less of a weapon on offense. I mean, you're not really going to stop him, but you can slow him down a bit. And being a seven-footer who could do everything, you're not going to slow him down on defensively. So, you're going to have to do it offensively. So, I mean, that's my first key for the Blazers right there. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, we kind of mentioned, or at least I kind of mentioned, we got to get Dame going, and Dame's going to be a big key as well as CJ. Uh, but to me, so one change that the Blazers actually made from game one to two was they started giving Rodney Hood and Evan Turner um, mm-hmm. some minutes boost, or a minute boost, uh, which I'm sure helped some of their defensive intensity, gave them a little more length out there to go attack all the wings and just good, good underrated scorers the Nuggets have. And. So I think that kind of mixing up the bench and still trusting, still trusting an eight to nine man unit is going to be huge for the Blazers going going back home. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just kind of building on that too. Um, I think the Blazers definitely need to, at the very least, slow down Jamal Murray if they, if they want to win. I mean, you could definitely. go with either the guys that you said, Rodney Hood or Evan Turner, and just stick them on him. Um, personally, I would really like to see. Damian Lillard come out with the same dog that he came out with in the Oklahoma City series and how he kind of, not necessarily locked down Russ, but he played really good defense. I mean, it's not hard to force Russ to take bad shots, but um, Damian (laughs) Lillard did that, and that's something that he needs to do um, with Jamal Murray, who is relatively new to this um, stage uh, at this point in in his career. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the things, too. I, another reason kind of why I was more trusting in the Blazers, the Blazers have been here before, uh, maybe not to the Western Conference Finals, but they felt the playoff heartbreak. They felt the playoff success. Uh, the, the Nuggets the Nuggets still, to me, have a little bit of that, you know, like, well, at least we made it to the second round kind of vibe. Um, and that's just going to be that way until they prove otherwise, and I think it will have to be Jamal Murray rising up 
to assist Jokic to prove that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> I'd also personally like to see Gary Harris step up a little more. I mean, he hasn't been bad by any stretch, but um, I definitely think he could be getting no. a few more buckets. Oh, definitely. I mean, he's not shooting the three ball great. <laughs> and, and I mean, yeah, not really. Even the game that they shot well, he's, he's 2 of 10 from deep so far and yeah. uh, 8 of 22 from the field, so... Yeah. Gary Harris got to step up <laughs> for sure so I guess if that's all we got for that series we'll move into one a little more personal for uh, us over here at Ant and Big Red versus the world um, less for me more so for the for my co-host uh, this obviously is the Warriors and Rockets series so uh, we get you could pick you could pick your poison right here you could we could talk about the Warriors or Rockets first um, but I'll, I'll let you choose since this is uh, this, this is your personal thing right here yeah, uh, I mean, quite frankly, I'm watching game two, just literally my mind is exploding. I like, I it, it was unbelievable. It, it the Rockets never held a lead, and and quite frankly, yeah, the Warriors didn't shoot well. Didn't look like to me like the Rockets were playing all that great of defense. I mean, it just kind of seemed like the Warriors happened to miss shots sometimes. Uh, which I guess is a positive sign if a few other shooters are cold. But quite frankly, I was watching that game, and it literally looked like any time the Rockets were ready to surge and get close, the Warriors were like, hey, let's uh, stop screwing around. Let's go get a bucket, huh? Chris Paul's trying to guard KD. Dude's like 5'4". Let's <laughs> just shoot over him, huh? Like, ah, great idea, KD. Right. It, it's, been, it's been tough, and I quite frankly – I'm actually looking at this series now, and I hyped up how Mbamute and Trevor Ariza didn't mean anything, and I, I don't, I still don't think Mbamute meant anything, but I'm feeling the loss of Ariza's size right now, quite frankly, and and that's really the, just the biggest issue and difference I've seen between the Rockets and Warriors so far in the first two games, and kind of why I think the Warriors are pretty much going to inevitably win. Um, There's just so much athletic size and wing talent. KD's basically 6'11", Clay's 6'7", Iguodala's 6'6", 6'7", Draymond's 6'10", Sean Livingston's 6'7". And the Rockets are trotting out little little Eric Gordon, little Chris Paul, P.J. Tucker's only 6'6". I'm watching their switch everything defense, and then I see... I see Chris Paul on KD, just like I mentioned, and it, and with the personnel they have right now, I think it's going to be really tough. Really, I mean, I, I basically, I just want the Warriors to kind of keep doing what they're doing, take what the offenses or take what the defense is giving them, uh, and utilize their size. I mean, they're killing the rebounding battle, absolutely dominating the Rockets. They're pretty dominant in the turnover ratio as well. I mean, basically, the Warriors were just home, took care of business with their five superstars. Um, yeah, they only got four and, right and, now, I guess. <laughs> oh yeah, four, I guess, because Iguodala is a half superstar. <laughs> uh, it it it's unreal. Um, I'm just kind of hyping up the Warriors right now. Um, and but just basically, just a, a group of vertical terrors that is just absolutely handling the Rockets on defense. It seems almost every possession, there's a new six-seven guy doubling James, like uh, on James Harden, and then waiting for him to be doubled to pass to Chris Paul to miss a three, or Capella to. Uh, 
personal. It's frustrating. <laughs> I the only my only quite frankly my only real suggestion for the Rockets other than because they shot the three well, so keep that up. Um, but other than the fact that Harden and CP3 need to step up, um, I would like to see Daniel House play more. And yeah. Austin Rivers played well in the time that he played, but those are both more like rangy wings that can actually get out there and play a little better, de get, give some spice and some fire to the offense that is clearly running bland against the Warriors' starting unit. That's pretty much the only group playing. Whereas I, I really feel like Rivers and Daniel House, especially, because I do like Daniel House both defensively and offensively, um, can provide maybe a little spark. And especially at home, the Rockets are going to need to take advantage of the bench, which has clearly performed better than the Warriors. Um, it's just with the four-and-a-half superstars, not much you can do. Yeah, I mean, I don't, have a ton of, I don't have a ton of stuff to add because this series has pretty much been black and white, really. Um, I guess for the Rockets, my first note I have for suggestions or adjustments is everything. <laughs> they need to pretty much switch up everything. Um, they haven't, aside from three-point shooting, like you mentioned, they haven't really done anything good, honestly. Um, they, their two stars, James Harden and CP3, haven't played at a level that we needed them to play at or that the Rockets needed them to play at to beat the Warriors. Um, their third guy and their big three, Clint Capella. Um, I think I saw his picture on a milk carton somewhere. He's, I don't know where he's at. Um, he needs to step up too. And I guess if I had to offer a real kind of adjustment, it'd be switch, try to switch Steph on the Harden as much as possible because Steph has been getting into foul trouble um, these first two games and in True. the playoffs in general. So, I mean, if the Rockets want to have a chance at winning this series, they need one of the four and a half superstars to be gone and preferably Steph or KD. And so that's that's what I would like to see, kind of just run some picks, just get Steph on the Harden, let Harden do his thing, um, get get some fouls, get, get Steph Curry into some foul trouble. Hopefully he can, they can get him to foul out in a game or two, and um, that would help them a lot in winning. And I guess I'll build on the Daniel House thing. I mean, I, I like him too. I like him a lot too. I think he does deserve a lot more minutes than what he's getting. Um his shooting is spotty. He got five in game two after like twenty in the first game. Yeah, like his shooting spotty. And I thought he extent, played well, but his defense is, has always been there. And when you have an onslaught of Clay, Steph, and KD on the other end, I mean, you need all the defense you can get. So I mean, having a guy that could play really good defense and hit a three every now and then is um, something that you need to have in your lineup. So um, I guess watching out for Daniel House getting some more playing time and uh, moving over to the Warriors like you said not much we can say um, just keep doing what you're doing that's really all the all that you could do if you're the Warriors um, one thing when Harden goes to the bench I'd like to see the Warriors or I guess I don't know if I'd like to see it but if I'm a Warriors fan and a Warriors coach or whatever um, I'd like to see the Warriors put their foot on the gas. I mean, t game two was kept close when Harden went out because he got his eyes raked <laughs> by Javon Green because of the bench and how well they were able to shoot in that stretch. And um, the Warriors weren't really hitting shots at all. So um, that's just something that the Warriors can do to just further the gap between them and Houston. Yeah, absolutely. And I, 
yeah, there's not a ton to say to the Warriors. I mean, like I, I kind of alluded to earlier, their starting five is really the only ones doing the work. Um, but it's been plenty enough to beat Houston. Uh, and I just last thing I want to say on Daniel House, just because it's really frustrating to me. I, <clears throat> the Rockets starting lineup, there's essentially one dude that you can actually put on to guard KD. Yeah. And it's PJ Tucker. <laughs> the next closest in that starting lineup is James Harden. Because he's the only one that's even remotely close to having the size and body to actually do anything defensively. Kirst Paul's just going to be rised up on Eric Gordon's just going to be rised up on, and Clint Capella's going to just get put in a mixer. Yeah. Uh, so if you had Daniel House, and he, even to a like, slightly lesser extent, in my opinion, Austin Rivers, you're still in good shape. But I do think that Daniel House has to shoot better in order to stay on the, on the court, because... That's pretty much the only thing keeping the Rockets in this series right now is banging the three ball. Uh, but th- that's it. I'm tired of watching or t- tired of watching <laughs> tired of watching the garbage the Rockets are putting on the court. Um, I really hope that they just take it home for Game Three. Uh, Red Nation, Rockets in seven. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that, I guess that's what we're all hoping for. Um, we're hope we're hoping for at least uh, the Rockets to push it to seven or something like that to give us hope. But um, I don't know. Um, good news. Not looking is- good. Good news is they're allergic to getting blown out by the Warriors, so um, at least we know the games will be close. <laughs> they can play their worst basketball of the season and lose by four. <laughs> yeah, so I guess um, <laughs> with the Western Conference wrapped up, we'll move over to the Eastern Conference. And um, these two series, for sure, are um, more entertaining than what's going on in the Western Conference, which um, hasn't been said for a while. Definitely. So um, it's good to see the Eastern Conference kind of be relevant again so without further ado we'll get into the Celtics Bucks series um tied at 1-1 I believe um night yep. and day when <laughs> these two games the Celtics came out yep. and just manhandled the Bucks the game one and then the Celtics just forgot how to play basketball in game two so um with that being said I'll let you get into a few keys yeah and I'll just I this is another one that's it's not quite as cut and dry as the Blazers Nuggets, where it basically looked like the Blazers played an AAU team one night, while like while the night before matching up with uh, like prime prime Spurs offense, <laughs> basically. Um, this this one is also a tale of two games, uh, just not quite as big. The Celtics took home court, so the tale of two games is definitely favorable to the lower seed in this situation. But, I mean, in game one, they came out, played great defense, physical game, tied and rebounding on the road, hit threes at a 42% clip, shot 54% overall, and had 11 blocks in game game one. So, I mean, that basically, the 11 blocks alone, I could have just told you that and been like, yeah, they asserted themselves on defense. They showed up to the Bucks and were like, yeah, we got like six or seven rangy winks too. Giannis struggled. Mm-hmm. Um I, so I mean, for the Celtics, that's it. That's your game. You got to keep playing defense. You got to you got to you got to run your offense through Kyrie. Look for contributions from Horford, Marcus Morris, uh, all all these guys. Uh, Gordon Hayward played a solid complementary role. That that's kind of what it has to be for the Celtics. Is everything kind of has to come together just like what it's been all year. Um, whereas the Bucks and their loss. You can't lose the rebound battle at home, especially when you have the size that you have 
And the the Celtics aren't a great rebounding team either. Al Horford is no rebounding wizard. <laughs> so I, <laughs> you, you, you can't lose the rebounding battle at home and shoot as bad as they did. 34% from the field, 33% from three, blocked 11 times. Uh, Giannis struggled. Giannis was not Superman in this game. And we talked about this a while back, I think, when we were talking about the biggest threats to the Warriors. And or actually, I mean, I talked about it too in my uh, in my MVP Big Reds banter. It, this is an offense that is designed to do well when Giannis performs well and fills his role. And we we kind of saw him struggle a little bit to do that. And I'm not saying it was on him at all. 11 blocks. The Celtics are doing something right on defense, but. Giannis has got to play better, and then so tail of two games, Giannis stepped up in game two. Uh, didn't have a massive game, but played well. Um, and the other key to me in game two was they inserted Nikola Mirotic into the starting lineup. Uh, and while they didn't have a great advantage, like a massive advantage after that, that tied rebounding battle went up to 53 to 45, and they won offensive rebounds 10 to 7. So getting a little bigger in the starting lineup helped out the Bucks in game two and kind of matched the physicality of the Celtics, I think. Um, so, I, I mean, I before getting into any, like, specific adjustments, I'll just... The Celtics the Celtics have to come up and keep playing physical defense and show up and play their game and do it at home, while the Bucks have to be able to match that. They have a deeper rotation. Both teams are using deep rotations. The Bucks got to prove that they're the best team in the league right now, and Giannis, is, Giannis has got to be Superman for the rest of the for the rest of the playoffs quite frankly uh, because his supporting cast isn't doing bad around him so yeah for sure um i guess i'll i'll just i'll dive into the celtics i mean cuz i don't think they need to make many on court adjustments cuz i think everything that has gone wrong is mental um i was watching the jump the other day i believe it was tuesday and jackie mcmullen was on there i believe she's a boston sports writer i'm not 100% sure on that but um, she said that there's never been a team in NBA history that gets more down on themselves when they miss a few shots than this year's Boston Celtics. And, I mean, that's 100% <laughs> true. Um, if you've watched any sort of Celtics games that they've lost, um, not, in the, not only in the playoffs but um, in the regular season in general, it's once they get down by, like, seven, eight points, it's everybody's just, like, panic mode you know what I mean um that's exactly what happened in game two and that's what led to a blowout they got down by not they were in strikeable range they were only down eight in like the third quarter but it then it turned into hero ball everybody was trying to get their their shots off everybody was trying to force everything and put it they put up a ton of threes early in the shot clock um which isn't what works well for the Celtics especially when you have Dudes like Kyrie, Jason Tatum, and all those guys who can drive in, kick. You could have a really good rotating offense with the personnel that you have. So, I mean, Celtics, they just need to get out of their own heads and, I guess, believe in themselves, uh, if you ought to say, um, because they are a really talented team. <laughs> and we saw that in game one when they had all the confidence in the world because they never, I don't, did they trail at all in game one? Uh, in game one, I don't, they, they got close, I think in the second quarter near halftime. Um, but I'm not sure if they actually did trail. Yeah. Well, if, if, if they did, it wasn't for luck because, um, Celtics pretty much had a stranglehold after like halfway through the third quarter is all Celtics. So, I mean, 
when the going's yeah. good, the Celtics are a really good team, but when it goes bad, they still need to be that good, confident team, and that's just something that we haven't seen, and that's what led them to have the kind of up-and-down regular season that they had. So, I mean, that's really the only thing I could say about the Celtics. I mean, it's night and day with them. Uh, my recommendation is stay with the black jerseys uh, if you can. Um, I guess with the Bucks, um, really fast, uh, I'll just go with one real quick. Um, you mentioned starting Miritich over Sterling Brown. Um, that was something I really liked, honestly. You mentioned the rebounding sway, which is um, pretty much what he was in there for. He's um, he, he's a guy that could give you 9 or 10 rebounds any given night, which is huge, especially for a dude who shoots, who's been shooting 40% from three in the playoffs, which is what Sterling Brown is at too, but Miritich takes almost two more a game. And on top of that, he's a big, that takes another big out of the paint, which will help Giannis, um, which I guess leads me to another thing that with, for the Bucks is to unclog the paint, and that'll... That'll happen with a uh, dude like Miritich starting and getting more minutes and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, I think we talked about this a while back. I love Nikola Miritich. Uh, I thought he was a great pickup for the Bucks. Um, he he definitely's got he definitely has to play more. I mean, nine boards starting lineup versus four off the bench. That's literally the difference right there. Like. And I, I just quite frankly, the physicality and matching some of the bigger bigger body rangy wings i guess that celtics have and spreading people out of the paint for Giannis is going to be huge it's been huge for their offense all year um my main keys for the bucks i guess going the rest of the way i mean i i mentioned the supporting cast how it's not playing terrible i mean they didn't play great in game one i mean they struggled game two they played really well and Giannis kind of complimented that i mean chris middleton I think is going to be really important. 28 points in game two, uh, 16 in game one. I mean, he's clearly the second option. Uh, Eric Bledsoe, I think you have to get him going. I think Bledsoe's got to have a good series. He had a good second game. He's got to got to keep got to keep thriving on that and improve. Um, I also think that George Hill getting some more minutes off the bench has been helpful for them. And either you got to stop putting Pat Connaughton in the lineup, or you got to get. Or you got to teach him how to shoot again. Uh, he's four of four of fifteen in twenty-seven minutes per game through the first two games of the series. So that's a recipe for disaster. Getting a dude that's just constantly throwing up bricks off your bench. I mean, we're about to talk about the Raptors, who have a guy that's doing it, and in my opinion, is gonna is really gonna cost them. <laughs> um, but either way, Bucks is gonna live and die with Giannis. Giannis is be able to take over a game and he's going to have to do that in Boston. Um, you mentioned uh, one adjust or a couple adjustments for the Celtics. There's not a ton. I mean, it's really about effort and coming together and just playing with unity. But the one big thing that I think does need to change is Jason Tatum has got to figure out. He's got to figure it out. Yeah. I, the dude looks absolutely lost out there offensively i mean you mentioned a dude that or a team that gets down on themselves for missing a bucket i jason tatum looks lost he's two of ten five points in game two two of seven with four points in game one and they won game one so i mean i i don't know if that's if i'm a boston fan i don't know if i should take that as a positive like wow you know we won a game even though jason tatum played pretty bad or if you should be worried that Jason Tatum hasn't stepped up yet. I'm hoping at home he can kind of take a jump forward. Uh, Jalen Brown has actually played pretty well. I've been impressed with him through the first two games. 
maybe proving himself as trying to prove himself as an alpha over Jason Tatum. But either way, if Jason Tatum can't get it going, I don't see the Celtics being able to beat the Bucks. quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, Jason Tatum really is the second option of the Celtics. I mean, as much as you want to say it could be Gordon Hayward or Horford or anybody else, Jason Tatum needs to be the second option if he's not. Um, like we saw it last year uh, when they pushed the Cavs to seven, Jason Tatum stepped up to the plate and all that. And I kind of feel like him not being as good this postseason or playoffs is kind of that hype that he had coming into this season. I mean, um, he had we had a ton of expectations for him. I mean, he kind of fell flat in the regular season, which, um, I mean, the, the whole Celtics in general kind of went flat uh, during the regular season. So I, I didn't really look too much into that. But, I mean, putting up four points in game one, I think, and then five in game two, like you said, it, that just ain't it, Chief. Um, he's he's got to figure it out. The Celtics aren't going to win this series if Jason Tatum isn't getting at least 16 a game. On the that's that's the short end too. I'd like to see him get more. Um, but the Celtics, I don't know. They're a weird team to gauge. <laughs> uh, like we we were talking about, they came out and blew out the Bucks in Game One, then proceeded to get blown out in Game Two. So, I mean, it's all—it's really a bunch of mental stuff with the Celtics. And um, I guess one more adjustment real quick for the Bucks. I'd like to see. I'd like to see George Hill facilitate a little more. Um, he has three assists to 0.5 turnovers this postseason, which is uh, really good. Not the biggest sample size, but um, it would help Giannis, I guess I'd say. You could kind of get him in some pick-and-roll action more. Um with George Hill, I mean, you can even run that with Eric Bledsoe, too. That would also get Eric Bledsoe going a little bit. Um, but George Hill's a good facilitator. Um, it would just open up a lot more for the offense than Giannis just kind of trying to barrel into the paint and then either kicking it out or forcing something or getting fouled. It would be a lot better for the Bucks offense if someone else, George Hill specifically, Eric Bledsoe, too, um, to get in on the facilita- on facilitating the offense. Yeah, absolutely, and I mean, that's that's one of the things that they can use to combat kind of just all the defense that the Celtics can throw at you. I mean, I talked about rangy wings on the Warriors. Yeah, their starting lineup plus Sean Livingston is pretty nice, but I mean, the Celtics, the Celtics have the bodies up and down the roster to guard anybody, uh, and, and that's where being able to run the pick and roll with both your starting unit and second unit with George Hill would be huge for the Bucks, and I guess kind of last thing I'll say on just the whole series in general and the Celtics uh, last year you were all rookies nobody expected anything from you you lost you lost Gordon Hayward uh, I, I didn't they lose Kyrie too yeah yeah and so I mean nobody expected anything and so there's no pressure. They kind of Jason Tatum came into this year, kind of fell flat in the regular season, and has so far fallen flat in the postseason. Um, to me, that's just the different pressure and not having experienced that pressure under the brightest stage quite yet. Um, but hopefully, they can rise up like they did last year and keep going. Yeah, for sure. So um, I guess with that said, we'll move into the last series left on the menu, which is probably most interesting. Um, at least, in my opinion, it's the most interesting series. Uh, I wasn't expecting it the first three games to go the way that they have. Um, but this series is, of course, 76ers and Raptors. 76ers are up 2-1, um, which I didn't see happening. So, uh, 
what's uh what's going good for the Sixers or Raptors and um what would you like to see them change? Uh well first of all, I mean there there's quite a few things going well for the 76ers. Uh they were able to get that home court and then come home and take the first one of that at home. Um I think they've played a much I honestly I think they've just in general played a more physical brand of basketball than the Raptors have. Uh again, uh rebounding in their starting five has been huge. Uh, a lot of big bodies. Tobias Harris has been a dude on the glass. Joel Embiid's Joel Embiid. Jimmy Butler at times has stepped up. Uh, all five starters are averaging, averaging double-digit points. Ben Simmons is the only real close one, and he's right on the line with 10. Uh, Embiid has stepped up when needed. Jimmy Butler has stepped up when needed. I mean, this is... The, you mentioned this is one of the more interesting series, and I definitely didn't expect it to be Sixers up 2-1. Um, but as we're three games in here, we have a little bit bigger sample size, and it's not just a tale of two games. It's not just a, oh, we showed up once and didn't show up another time. This has been a pretty legitimately hard-fought series besides the Raptors getting absolutely blasted in game three. Uh and so to me, I, the, the 76ers are doing a lot of things well. They're playing off their strengths, which is their starting five, and they're getting just barely enough bench production um, to take it to the Raptors. And that's where, I mean, things going well for the Raptors. Um, I mean, they pretty much start with Kawhi Leonard, and I guess you could argue they end with uh, Siakam. But even then, I would argue they start and end with Kawhi Leonard. Dude's got 30, averaging 37.7 points per game, 7.3 rebounds, one steal, 21 to 23 on free throws. Uh, and Siakam's got 23.3 points and 5.6 boards. After that, I seriously, I, I'm, you're hard-pressed to find another thing that's going well for the Raptors. Uh, all their primary, all their secondary scorers and shooters are struggling. Um, facilitators, uh, Kyle Lowry's doing okay, uh, passing, that's about it. Um, all this bench depth that they had coming into the year kind of disappeared. They're using a light man, a, a light eight man rotation, uh, with Norman Powell, um, getting about 11 minutes per game. Um, they're getting out physical, out rebounded, can't keep him beat off the line. Uh, their bench that was supposed to be their biggest strength, especially over a team like the 76ers, has been a massive negative so far. And I, I know it's only 2-1, to one and the Raptors have a chance to bounce back and came out in Game 1 and did their stuff, but I really don't like the way things are looking for the Raptors right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, like you said, I mean, it the good things for the Raptors ends starts and ends with Kawhi. I mean, I like to throw Siakam in there, but he's had his struggles this series, so I can't really do that um, with a good conscience right now. Um, but, yeah, that's really all I'll touch on for the Raptors right now before we get into some adjustments. Uh, it's Kawhi Leonard's balling. He's, before yesterday's game, he was shooting almost 60% in the playoffs, which is crazy for a, <laughs> for a forward. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, to the Sixers, I mean, I agree with pretty much everything that you said. Um Jimmy Butler has really stepped up a lot, especially in Game Two when he went off. He had like thirty and ten or something like that. Um, really carried the 76ers to a win, really, because the Raptors were coming back and um, were about to take the game, but Jimmy Butler said no. Um, 
And something interesting too, um, I don't know if you were watching that game, but during the game they were talking about that uh, there's this stat where they figured out like what player helps their team win close games the most and it was Jimmy Butler was the was the number one player for that stat, which is which is crazy. I mean I, I remember seeing it. I don't I don't think I saw it on the or in the actual uh, game, but I feel like I saw it on Twitter or something. Yeah, I mean, like, when you think about it, like, yeah, it makes sense. But, I mean, obviously, if someone were to ask you who's who helps win, uh, who helps their team win close games the most often, you would probably think, like, LeBron, KD, someone like that. Uh, but now it's uh, James Butler over there in Philadelphia. So, I guess shout, shout out to him James for that. James <laughs> um, And something that I like that the 76ers are doing well defensively anyway is um, – they're pretty much letting Kawhi do Kawhi, um, letting Kawhi get his buckets. It's similar to what teams have done with LeBron in the past. Um, to kind of just let him do his thing and let the supporting cast step up and beat you, which um, for LeBron couldn't be done, and for Kawhi it, it really hasn't been done, um, at least this series specifically. So um, I guess with that being said, uh, I'll get into my first adjustment that I'd like to see for the 76ers which would be they need to get more pick and rolls or pick and pops action with Joel Embiid and Jimmy Butler specifically targeting Marcus Gasol. Um, Marcus Gasol played pretty good defense game one on Joel Embiid. He was all right in game two but then game three he, he just looked old. Um, so targeting him on defense especially in a pick and roll setting with Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid uh, that would that just destroy him. Um, so that's something that I would really like to see right there for the 76ers. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my adjustment, I guess I'll start. I'll start with. Uh, nah, yeah, I'll do the 76ers adjustment. Um, I basically I already said it. They're they're doing well in the free throws. Um, starting five is absolutely killing it. Um, all double digits and. We talked about it earlier. That's all the Warriors need. Um, is it all the Sixers need? I don't necessarily think so. I think that the Warriors' big five is obviously a little better than the 76ers. But quite frankly, throughout this series, the 76ers have been getting good contributions from James Ennis, both rebounding and shooting the basketball. So I'd like to see him play a little bit more. Uh, I would like to see Greg Monroe also play a little bit more. Just, just, just for that bigger body in the post, uh, kind of keep beating down Al Harrell, Al Horford. You know, I mean, he, Al Horford's a great player and all, but he's in his career he's been out physical, especially when it comes to the playoffs. And so if you just keep throwing big bodies at the Celtics, who are already losing the rebounding battle by a wide margin, 31 to 19 for offensive rebounds. Uh, I, I kind of, quite frankly, I don't see. I don't see how, unless the seven, unless the Raptors make all the adjustments that I'm about to tell them to make, how they can, how they're going to stop the 76ers. I, they're rolling now, and Bede looks as healthy as he has been. Um, I, unfortunately, it's seeming, it's seeming like, even with Kawhi Leonard, the Raptors may have ran into another buzzsaw. <laughs> um, <laughs> unfortunately, as much as I wanted the Raptors to win. Um, I just watching what Embiid did in Game Three. I mean, he had five blocks in Game Three too. I, that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Joel, Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid. Uh, 
like like I said, I mean Gasol did a good job on him in game one, but since then it's kind of just been uh, the Joel and B Jimmy Butler show pretty much for the last two games. Exactly, and I, one other dude I'll shout out is Tobias Harris. Averaging 11.3 rebounds, 12 points, and 5 assists per game. I mean, he's not shooting lights out by any means, but 11 boards is more than Embiid is averaging. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just shows the shows that physicality that the 76 are playing within that starting unit. Um, but moving on to the Raptors here real quick. Last, I mean, really their only hope. Got to find a way to body Embiid, I make Jimmy Butler shoot you with jumpers I, or beat you with jumpers or I mean it's tough too cuz Embiid's shooting the 3 really well now. And <laughs> quite frankly, the Raptors can play defense on the 76ers and they can step up. But they can't do it when Kawhi Leonard's trying to pour in 40 points a night and Kyle Lowry's 2 of 14 for the series from 3. Fred Van Vliet is playing like 20 plus minutes a game and is one of 11 in the series. I, it's unbelievable that Kawhi literally has nothing besides Siakam's got 23.3 a game. That's fantastic. That's two guys. There was a stat that popped up in I think near the end of near the end of the game against the Sixers yesterday where it was Kawhi and Siakam combined for 52 points or something for the for the Raptors, whereas the rest of the unit was like 14 of 42 or something. Uh, Just an absolute joke. And, I mean, I talked about it earlier how Giannis' supporting cast plays well around him, is actually playing fairly well around him. Kawhi's supporting cast is absolutely collapsing around him, and all this great depth that the Raptors supposedly had is once again vanished in the playoffs. And just kind of honestly quite like I'm pretty disgusted with the Rockets. I'm... (laughs) I'm pretty pissed off at the Raptors. I'm tired of this, okay? You have Kawhi Leonard now. You have your superstar. Why does Kyle Lowry now have to play, like, an even worse version of himself? I just don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I don't know what the Raptors did to piss off the basketball gods, but it must have been pretty bad. Um, like, like you were saying, somebody else has to do something. I mean, <laughs> you can't rely on Kawhi to go out there and try to pour in 40 at night. Even though he can, that's not a winning formula right there. Um, Kyle Lowry specifically, we're not expecting him to be Kyle Lowry of 2016 or 2015. We're expecting him to get, what, 16 points maybe? 15 efficient points, shoot good from the, from the three, um, and facilitate and play good defense. That we're not, we're not asking him to take over a game. We're not asking him to carry a team. We're not asking anything of <laughs> anything like that. We're just asking... You need you need to score efficiently. You need to get about 15 points, and you need to facilitate. That's it. And for somehow he's not even living up to those expectations. So I don't know what what's up with Kyle Lowry. I don't know what's going on there, but um, definitely needs to get fixed uh, as soon as possible if the Raptors want any chance at winning this series. Um, and I guess uh, going to the guys in the suits. Um, Nick Nurse, he needs to get the offense moving. I mean, say what you want about the supporting cast not shooting very well. I mean, a lot of the, it, a lot of it has to stem from the type of possessions and looks that they're getting. I mean, a ton of the possessions, it's either a Kawhi or Pascal Siakam ISO, um, leads to a healthy amount of buckets, but it leaves other guys cold 
pretty much because they're not moving around and stuff. Um, like, if you want to look at Danny Green in game two, missed that wide open three to tie the game. Um, he It was, well, I guess that was, <laughs> that was after the Kyle Lowry attempted nutmeg on Tobias Harris. I don't know what was going on there. But, um, like, <laughs> we need to get, Nick Nurse needs to get the offense flowing. Um, he needs more screens, more passing, more kicking any anything to get the offense flowing um something else that i'd like to see too from a defensive standpoint is Sergi Baca and Norman Powell getting more minutes um it's clear that Marcus Hall isn't gonna slow down Joel Embiid anymore um he like I said he's did a good job in game one I don't think one. he should be starting no yeah he, quite frankly he did a really good job in game one but I mean he's older now he's Joel Embiid's worn him down now he's doing whatever he wants and so that's where Serge Ibaka comes in. I mean, I'm not saying Serge Ibaka is going to stop Joel Embiid by any stretch of the imagination, but he has not Serge Ibaka no more. <laughs> he has a better chance than Marcus Saul does. I mean, he's more athletic. He's I don't know if he he might be stronger. I'm not sure, but either way, it's a better matchup for the Raptors to run Serge Ibaka more minutes on Joel Embiid than Marcus Saul at this point in the series, and then Norman Powell just for another um lengthy defender they they need all the defense they can get especially with jimmy butler now um in his zone they they need to shut down those two guys or at least slow slow them down to say at the least they need to do that and i guess last thing for the raptors they need to get danny green going i mean we're talking about kyle lowry a lot but danny green's supposed to be their sharpshooter he's been shooting atrociously through these playoffs and so i'd like to see a lot, some more plays ran specifically for Danny Green to get him open looks and to get his shot going. Yeah, one hundred percent. I really like that you actually brought up the coaching, and I, I mean, I obviously interjected myself. I think a move from Gasol to the bench would not only provide better defense with Ibaka in there, but on top of that, I think that would help give your second unit a little, a little more versatility. Yeah. And I mean, I, yeah, you probably cut back Gasol's minutes a little bit. Uh, at five, six minutes, whatever. But that would allow Nick Nurse to start being a little more creative with Gasol on there and maybe even having Gasol on the floor when Embiid's not. And just overall being a little better situation where Gasol can utilize his playoff experience and veteran presence to a much more successful degree off the bench. Uh, so, yeah, I, that pretty much wraps it up for me. Uh, quite frankly, after what I've seen so far, I'm – predicting 76ers and six but we will wait and hopefully see some big adjustments for the raptors come game four yeah i mean the raptors <laughs> they have to win the next two games for sure um they need have a, to they they have to get the split in philadelphia they have to win game five in toronto um or else it's there if they lose either of these two games i can't see a situation where they come out on top and unfortunately that We'll probably drive Kawhi Leonard out of town. So, I mean, um, Tony Raptors, you're definitely walking on a wire right now. Yeah, and it is definitely not because Kawhi doesn't want to be there as he's doing everything humanly possible to get you guys some wins. So please <laughs> help the boy out so I don't have to cheer him on in a Clippers uniform next year. Uh, <laughs> but moving on from that, uh, we'll dive into... Kind of my only big red bust here, and then another little special big red banter thing on to pop out. Um, but D'Angelo Russell, 
You know, the Nets, the Nets were that, you know, that underdog team that took it to the Sixers and Dudley and you're just, we had a whole, we had a fun time in the first round. And <laughs> so did D'Angelo Russell, but you know, we got to the airport just a few days after their season ended and D'Angelo Russell was ready to relax, you know, with, with marijuana hidden inside a container fashioned to look like an Arizona iced tea can. Um, honestly, I don't know if it's a big red ball or a big red bus. That's pretty savage. An Arizona, huh. like a fake Arizona <laughs> iced tea. This dude D-lo, D-loading, so he's thinking up there, you know. He's yeah. trying to trying to do the most, uh, but so are the police at the airports of the TSA. Um, so D'Angelo, please, my dude, you're a restricted free agent. You just balled out. I know that the policy, the league's policy is probably pretty stupid and eventually we'll see a change, but it's not happened yet, D'Lo. Stay out of trouble. Now you got to go to court. You're not going to get suspended because it's your first violation or anything, but come on, D'Lo. <laughs> I want you to, I, I, I like D'Lo. I want him to be a man. Um, I want him to be a guy for somebody, whether he stays with the Nets or goes somewhere else. Um. But yeah, a hybrid Big Reds baller slash bust. Uh, <laughs> D-Lo out here doing the most, trying to be sneaky about it, but can't be doing stupid stuff like that. Yeah, that reminds me of this thing I saw. This guy was uh, trying to like import these like rare tortoises or turtles or something like that. I think they they're either turtles or baby tortoises, and uh, he had them in a box like trying to the trying to disguise them as pastries so i guess that, that reminds me of that super funny it's, it's clever i guess it's clever um but yeah Stephen a smith already hit his stay off the weed on this um i guess i'd i'd i want to say stay off the weed i'd just say uh don't bring it to the airport because <laughs> uh that's just bound to get you i mean you're d'angelo russell i mean wherever you're going you could probably find whatever you need so um yeah, yeah. it's, it's- big stupid <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'm hoping he gets his big contract i mean he deserves it the way he came out this year um i guess anyway um i guess i'll i'll, I'll, I'll shout out an honorable mention real quick monty williams signing a five-year contract with the suns uh, i'm super happy about oh, yeah. that um i'm glad he didn't go to the lakers i think the suns needed a coach like monty williams i'm just hoping they give him more than a season to kind of lead this team because that's the sun's agenda pretty much the last few years hire a coach fire him after a year um but i guess i mean none of them have really worked to be fair yeah but yeah they, they got him for five years um i'm excited to see what happens with phoenix next year especially with monty williams under the helm yeah hopefully that five-year deal kind of signifies a, all right this is our guy we feel like we have the talent in place with booker and um eight is their center right deandre eight yeah I, they've got the pieces now. The talent should be there. So Monty's kind of going to be expected to go in and not necessarily make a playoff team, but I mean, I I'm sure that the Suns would love, 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 love a season like the Kings yeah. kind of had this last year, where they actually pushed it and made something happen, where you can get excited about this youth instead of, oh well, the youth movement's still coming. <laughs> um, but hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully that five-year deal is a little bit more of a commitment, allow him to insert his system and and work with his guys. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I'm, like I said, I'm not like you said. I mean, we're not expecting playoffs, but um, if we have to see another Devin Booker 25 plus points a game season and the Suns still with the top five pick, uh, I, I don't know. I might go sicko mode. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I, it's, I think it's definitely time we start seeing just kind of in general leagues, different teams rising up, which we kind of already are with the Bucks and the Sixers. And so I think we're hopefully when KD leaves, uh, we'll be entering a really fun era of basketball where just about anybody has a shot at a championship, <laughs> not just the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, you got anything else, Ann, or can I toss in my last little piece? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's all you. You got the floor. Yeah, so uh, this is some quick last thing. Uh, it's actually going to be a bigger topic and Big Red's banter coming up with a special uh, MLB edition and, and a guest appearance on Big Red's banter. It's a, This is a question that I really hadn't thought a ton about, but felt pretty strongly about after hearing it. Um, it's actually from 710 ESPN Seattle. Um, basically, a question popped up where they asked Jerry DePoto, the Mariners GM, uh, a question about pitching, about ERA. And so I guess I just, I just want to ask you this question, Ant. I just want your straight-up answer. That's all I'm going to give you because you're going to have to tune into Big Red's banter to find <laughs> out the rest of it. Um, basically, if a pitcher makes an error themselves, so they're the ones that make an error and put a guy on base, and that those runs score – should they be an earned run for that pitcher? Nah. Uh, nah, I don't think so. All right. There you go. <laughs> so that is Average Ant's take. Tune in to the next episode of Big Red's Banter uh, coming up in about a week or so to find out what Big Red thinks and find out what a special guest thinks. Um, but without further ado, it's Big Red signing off. Yep, this is Average Ant signing off. Thank you guys for listening. Um, got... Some great content coming out for you guys pretty soon, too, so uh, stay tuned.